host, Eddie Garcia, and we're back with another episode of the Akuti Initiative, where we strive to get closer to Christ one day at a time. Today, we have a very special guest with us, who is the vocation director of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. He has a superpower of using the word awesome at exactly the right time, and he has a gift of coming up with the best icebreakers. So, Father, <laughs> could you please give us a little bit of background information for the audience to keep in mind throughout this episode? Well, Eddie, thank you. That was an awesome introduction. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so I, um, yeah, thank you so much. I, I guess I, I grew up in the St. George Parish in Glen Olden uh, in Delaware County, right outside of Philadelphia. Uh, I went to Monsignor Bonner High School. Uh, I, I didn't, and we'll get into this, but I, I ended up going to Westchester University, got a degree in accounting, and then it was after that that God called me to the priesthood. Um, and so I have one younger brother. He's got three kids. Uh, they're all awesome, and um, so sure. yeah, I guess that, so that's everything again, about me right now. So once again, this is your host, Eddie Garcia. We're here with Father DeLacy, and you're listening to the Akuti Initiative, where we strive to get closer to Christ one day at a time. I'd like to start out with a small icebreaker. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite fast food restaurant, Father, and what do you <laughs> order there? Oh, my favorite fast food restaurant is, uh, is definitely Chick-fil-A. And uh, and this may not be as obvious. I actually love going there for breakfast. So they have a breakfast sandwich that is, it's a piece of chicken, eggs on a bagel with cheese. <laughs> oh, it is to die for. It's so good. Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, please, can you share your vacation story with us, with all the listeners? Sure, sure. I would be honored to. Uh, so I, I grew up in a household of faith. Uh, my my parents uh, were both Catholic, and uh, they 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 sacrificed a lot actually to send me to Catholic school. So uh, growing up and being Catholic was very important to them. I I remember going through the motions very much. So like I was not uh, it terribly like like living out the faith. I was just kind of walking through it, you know, just because of the nature of uh, the rules of the house. We, uh, you know, I had to go to church every Sunday. But I wasn't necessarily connected. I, I wasn't necessarily engaged in a relationship with God, you know, like uh, especially with Jesus. Um, I was very much going through the motions. And yet some somehow uh, when I was 16, my pastor challenged me and said, you know, there's something about you. I think God may be calling you to be a priest. Would you think about it and pray about it? Well, I gave the worst response that is possible. I, you know, like I should be respecting my pastor, <laughs> but I laughed in his face. It was awful, really inappropriate. And and I said, Father, I guarantee I'll never be a priest because priests can't get married. Priests don't have any kids. Priests don't have any fun. And and my concern was I had a perception that priests were lonely, you know, which was which was a false perception. But that lie was was blocking me from even entertaining the possibility. Anyway, so fast forward. When I graduated from high school, my number one priority in life was to try to make as much money as possible. So I thought if I knew how money worked, I would be able to make a lot of it. So when I went to Westchester University, I was a dual major in accounting and finance because I thought, great, I'll know how money works. I'll make a lot of it and then I'll be happy. Um, thanks be to God. God saved me from that because we we know that you know even people who win the lottery, you would think that would be the best thing ever, but it, it actually, in, in most cases, it ends up ruining their lives. So God saved me from that in, in that in my junior to senior year in college, I had a conversion experience. Not that I, I went from being Catholic to something else or was, was coming into the Catholic Church. I went from being lukewarm 
to being just hungry and on fire. I, I started to go to prayer meetings. I started to go to Bible studies. And then the people that I met, they encouraged me to do a daily holy hour before the Blessed Sacrament. So I'm praying with great enthusiasm at, the, at this point and, uh, and, and praying daily. And I was becoming more and more suspicious that, you know, um, I was being called to the priesthood. It was almost like I understood it at the core of my being, but I wouldn't let the rest of myself uh, embrace it. And I remember sitting before the Blessed Sacrament, having like a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus there, right? Because a great personal encounter. And, and my life got so much better when I had that personal encounter with Jesus, that personal relationship, the joy, the peace. I it just categorically, everything got better overnight. But I'm still having this one-on-one. -on -one. I'm not completely open to doing the Father's will. Jesus was trying to teach me that. And I remember having this one-on-one -on -one with Jesus and like, Lord, <laughs> don't blow this, right? I'm praying a holy hour. I'm trying to go to daily mass. Don't ask me to be a priest, please. And like I was begging him. It was really awful, not pious at all. And I would say maybe like the next day or, or within the week, um, I had this, this very powerful moment. It's probably one of the clearest times that, that Jesus ever spoke to me. And he put this question on my heart. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And as that question was placed there, I was immediately convicted that I didn't trust him. And I started to wrestle with that. And in my mind's eye, the image of divine mercy flashed intensely in my mind's eye and then flashed away. That's where the two rays, the red and the right, white right, is coming from the heart of Jesus. I didn't think much of it. I just thought, okay, like my, my mind came up with this kind of religious image as God was speaking to me because I was convinced that God was speaking to me. But a couple weeks later, when I went to a Catholic shop, I saw the prayer cards and I actually was blown away. And it was a real confirmation for me for the authenticity of that experience. When I went to the prayer cards and I saw the Divine Mercy prayer card, when I picked it up, I was blown away. I Now, I had seen it before, like, but I didn't have a devotion to it. I didn't know much about it. So I was blown away when I saw at the bottom the words that our Lord had St. Philistina right there. Jesus, I trust in you. And that was just a real powerful confirmation of God letting me know that, you know, like, yes, he is calling me to trust him. And and that 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 conclusion that I already had at the core of my being, that I, I was just trying to grow in um, in surrendering to God's will of, of being a priest, I was supposed to say yes. So the next time I was before the Blessed Sacrament, and it wasn't terribly, like, pious at all. Like, you hear about saints, like, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will, the Blessed Mother, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. For me, it was more of, like, fine, Lord. <laughs> I'll go in the seminary. It was so unpiety. And, and it was like I was exhausted because I was trying to pray deeply and get holy. And I was trying to do it on my terms and not have to do God the Father's will. And so, you know, God's will and my will then linked up at that, at that moment, which created just this deep, deep sense of peace. Uh, more than just that internal struggle being taken away and a real powerful confirmation that I was doing God's will. So I would say that's one indicator for our listeners. If you, if it, as I talk about this deep peace, if you don't know what I'm talking about from your experience, seek after that because peace is one of those very intense experiences that God allows us to have as a confirmation that we are right with him and that we're doing God's will. And if we haven't achieved that peace yet, uh, or, or better yet, if we haven't received that peace yet, 
it's probably a case that either there's sin in our life that we need to, to get rid of um, and or we're not open to doing God's will and striving after God's will. And so I have to say that I've had that peace ever since. There's been lots of ups and downs in the seminary. There's been lots of ups and downs in my priesthood. I've been a priest for 16 years, and I thank God every day that he called me to the priesthood because if left to myself, I probably would have rejected the priesthood. And I, I know for a fact that I would not be as fulfilled or joyful as I am now if I if 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 I if I took the the the, the license if I took the free will just to do my own way it would not be anywhere near as good as God's way um, and so yeah thanks Eddie for the so, opportunity to tell my uh, vocation story that was very story. good um, is there a specific saint or saints that have guided you spiritually throughout your life or that you feel close to. I, I would absolutely. So first and foremost, the Blessed Mother, um, you know, I, I think it was St. John Paul II that would refer to as the School of Mary, that when we pray the rosary, when we have a lively devotion to the Blessed Mother and we enter into her school, she teaches us how to respond to God's will. She teaches us how to cooperate with God's grace. You know, because she's the Immaculate Conception, she never had any sin and doesn't have that fallen nature that we all have. And so then she's able to teach us to what's what's lacking in our own in our own persons because we have a fallen nature. Um, so when we say amen, it's always an imperfect amen. When she says amen, it's always a perfect amen. And she teaches us how to have like an even more perfect amen or yes to God. So she's definitely been a, a, a very strong figure. St. Augustine, I, I went to an Augustinian school. So St. Augustine, his conversion experience, his kind of like, like deep, psychological insight and how it connects to God uh, has always been just a powerful factor in, in my own in my own life and in my own discernment. Uh, St. Joseph has been wonderful, just a great example of what it means to be a man. I became good friends with St. Maria Goretti somewhere along the way. And um, and she has taught me a lot of times we think of her as as the, the chastity saint, in which she certainly is, but she's also the fortitude saint. And anytime, like, like I'm about to kind of like wimp out in this situation, it seems like like Saint Maria Gretti helps me to kind of like you know be strong and trust in God's you know supernatural strength. So she has been just a wonderful saint friend. Um, and then I would say, probably you know, especially in my work as the vocation director, but all through the seminary in in that kind of more informed discernment, because like you know, there's a certain amount of discernment we're able to do outside the seminary, but then when you're in the seminary. They give you like the expertise to discern, and it's, it usually goes with learning uh, Saint Ignatius of Loyola and his spiritual exercises. So the the, the great role that he has had, um, you know, in 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 teaching me how to discern in my own life, and then in my role as vocation director, I help others discern. Um, he has played a wonderful role in that regard. And then I, I have to say, I, I had the wonderful opportunity to meet Saint John Paul II. Um, and so he has played a marvelous role. I, I, in many ways, I patterned my priesthood after the way St. John Paul II lived out his papacy. Um, so he is just a remarkable example to me and, and one I pray to all the time. And there's, 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 there's <laughs> more, but I think and I'll stop besides there. Besides the saint, who has been a positive role model for you that's impacted your life? Yeah, no, thank you for asking. I would say my, my father for... Uh, you know, his, his devotion to the Blessed Sacrament, his enthusiasm uh, for living out the faith w uh, was just such 
a great example. I just, just indulge me in this one story. So this would be like kind of like after I said that yes to God, my dad actually had cancer. And, you know, I, I remember I was his primary caretaker. And it, this was such a powerful moment where um, he actually was was actively dying. I could tell by his breathing that he was actively dying. Um, I, I was his primary caretaker. My mom was a little nervous, so she was kind of downstairs. But when he was dying, I called her up. I'm like, Mom, this is it. You know, Dad is dying. And the first words out of her mouth, the most natural thing that she she could say at that point was, give Father a call. And we called our pastor, uh, Monsignor Mike McCormick, who came over in five minutes. And he, he went down to my dad's face, and my dad is Steve Sr. So he said, Steve, Stephen, Steve. And there was no response. And I remember thinking, your father, get on with the anointing. He's been unconscious the last week and he needs the sacraments. So he started the, the last rites with the anointing of the sick. First, the absolution from the sacrament of confession, the anointing of the sick. And when it came time for the blessed sacrament, he held our Lord Jesus out over my father. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Well, with that, my dad was able to open up his eyes. He lifted his head off the pillow, focused his eyes on the Blessed Sacrament. And as soon as Father got done saying that prayer, my dad closed his That's eyes beautiful. and passed away very peacefully. Well, that was a very powerful mm -hmm. moment of grief, as you can imagine. But I was also on a spiritual high. I wanted so bad to be a priest so that I could bring Jesus to other people the way this priest brought Jesus to, 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 um, to my family and to my dad. So, so, you know, like, like, so the example of my father, that was the culmination of him just showing me just a great devotion to the blessed sacrament. It was so fitting that he died that way. And in a sense, you know, there's, there's a way we imitate Jesus in our own death, becoming a gift for other people. In a sense, I feel like his death, was really the gift that gave birth to my vocation in a very powerful way. Um, in, in a way that I, I also have a sense too, that if, if you know, not that he had a, an overt knowledge of that, but he would have chosen it if he, if he did understand what was happening too. Very powerful link there. I mentioned Monsignor McCormick, who was just a, a phenomenal priest example. He still is a, a priest now at, at um, St. Francis Cabrini in Fairless Hills. He was a, a tremendous example. In my home parish, uh, this this man also went to our Lord, but um, Mr. Peasy, you know, was was his name. I I, I even Mr. Dan Peasy, um, he was a layman that just was so dedicated to doing God's will. It was so clear that his entire life was devoted to the Our Father, and and that part where it says, you know, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which implies if we're praying that, that implies. Lord, I want to do your will in my own life just the way they do it in heaven. And, and Mr. Peasy, any grace prompting he ever had, he enthusiastically responded to that no matter what. He was bold. He was very pro-life. He would, he would go on the radio. He would, there were so many things that he did, led a prayer meeting, led Bible studies. He was on fire to grow the kingdom. And that really, that really inspired me in, in amazing ways. So he, he was just a, a tremendous, tremendous example. Um, and there's more. My, my, my brother kind of like, you know, he always strove for, for excellence, even all growing up. And, and, and th there would be times where I'd want to kind of like 
do the easy way um, when it came to like like being competitive with sports and other things. And something about his competitiveness inspired me to seek excellence in a, in a deeper way. So anyway, again, I feel like I can keep going on and on. Eddie Sullivan, sure. I'm going to stop and, there. Uh, Thanks for these great family, questions. Uh, were you supported by your friends and family when you were, gave them the news that you wanted to become a priest? Great, great question. Great question. I would say, I would say initially yes and no. So, uh, and I'll explain that. So, I, I was lucky because you know, if, if you're following the story, my my did my dad passed away early on, but um, in in that process. But right before, I guess a couple months before he died, I made the decision to go in the seminary. And so I remember gathering my mom and dad. My my dad actually had cancer before and was in remission at the time. Uh, when the can cancer came back, it came back pretty quickly. When I told them, you know, my dad was smiling from ear to ear. Like, like I've never seen a bigger smile on him than I did at that moment. <laughs> and my mom started to cry. <laughs> so, so I was just like, so, so I, I went to my mom. I'm like, mom, why are you crying? And, and here two weeks beforehand, it's, it's crazy how moms can kind of intuit what's going on with their sons. She asked me the question when I was intensely thinking about the priesthood. I thought nobody else knew about it. She asked me the question, um, you know, if was I thinking about the priesthood? And 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 I didn't know how to respond because there was just too much going on. You should never do this. This is not the appropriate way to respond. But I lied to her. I'm like, oh no, mom, I'm not thinking about the priesthood. So she was upset that I lied to her. But then I, I apologized. And I explained it was just like too raw. There was just it was too complicated. I just didn't know how to process and break that down. Not that it makes it right, but um, she understood. But it, she struggled with it because that lie that I had, that that I was going to be lonely as a priest, uh, she also had that lie. So she thought, oh man, you're throwing your life away. You're going to be so unhappy as a priest. Um, and and like, why would you do that to yourself in, in so many words? Um, where my dad had had the sense and the faith that Wow! Like if God's calling you to this, God's going to be right there, right there, fulfilling you, giving you joy, and, and that type of thing. So my mom came to understand that um, when she saw me in my first year in the seminary, when I was I was always a happy guy, relatively speaking. But she saw me kind of like like even more fulfilled, even more joyful, even more kind of myself in a sense. And and she she had a turnaround and and then became very supportive. My brother, this was a, an interesting side note. My brother was like, like his initial reaction was he, he, he was, you know, sad in that, that he, he wouldn't have biological uh, nephews and nieces, you know, that, that, and, and I, I wasn't even, I, that didn't even occur to me. And, and that was a re very real appropriate reaction from him. He's been, he's been very supportive and happy ever since. I had a number of friends that were just like, oh yeah, no brainer. That, that kind of makes sense. And, and, uh, but so definitely the, the vast majority of people were, were in, very enthusiastic. They, so it was, it was a really good, uh, good experience to tell people. And, you know, anytime you're sharing with people, Hey, I'm perceiving God is, is calling me this way. I'm pursuing it. That becomes such a great opportunity to evangelize. Like not, not that I know of anyone that had a huge conversion experience because of that. But I had the sense that it, it came with an invitation to deepen their faith. Everyone I was telling that I was, you know, pursuing God's call in and this regard. And you mentioned that you were more joyful in the seminary, and I've noticed that that um, every time I see you, you seem very joyful and very positive. How do you keep that joy in your priesthood? 
Oh, thanks for asking. So I would say, cause, cause keep in mind, like, like there's a lot of hard things, right? And it's, it's, there, it's, you know, like to, to the, the source of all life in the church is the cross, right? So, so there's a constant dying to self. There's a constant, like going through difficult things. So, so we, we, we don't want this to be Pollyannish in any way. Um, you know, it's not a superficial joy, but you know, as you're going through these difficulties, um, God is powerful. God is working through you. And it comes, you know, at every aspect of the church, anytime we're doing God's God's work in the church, we're always immediately doing something that's actually beyond our capability. And we need God to work through us in order for it to be accomplished. So you mentioned my role as the vocation director. If, if I was thinking every day, wow, the entire future of the life of the archdiocese was resting on my shoulders. Well, I wouldn't be joyful. I would be stressed out. I would be sad. I would be angry probably all the time and that type of thing. But I, I have a powerful awareness that I can't do this job as vocation director. I need Jesus to do it through me. And, and to have that sense of God is working through you, which is supposed to be normal. It's not always supposed to be what priests experience, but I do think we have the privilege of celebrating the sacraments and preaching that we get, you know, our job, we get to experience this, but every member of the church should be experiencing God working through them in, in a powerful way. That's just normal Christianity. And when you experience that, the source of joy and peace and fulfillment that you have and the sense of impact um, and that, that you're having in the life of the church and in the life of the world is so mm -hmm. tangible, so real. And um... Yeah, uh, you mentioned that I mentioned about the vocation director. Uh, what exactly does a vocation director do? And uh, could you just run through a normal day? Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's great. So the as, as the vocation director, my official title is the, I'm the vocation director for the Dawson priesthood. So just to break down that title then, you know, you know, a, a vocation is a calling that God gives. So really everyone that's listening is being called by God. So it challenges if you don't know how God's calling you, ask him because he's giving you some type of mission, right? I'm working for, for those that are being called to the priesthood, which is kind of like, like a life commitment vocation. But, you know, he, and, and he's calling all of us to a particular way we're supposed to commit our lives, whether it be the priesthood, the religious life, being a religious sister or brother, the married life. And then a, a lot of times, you know, there's there's people that are so committed that they, they can't get married because of their particular mission as single persons. And so the, the, the holy, you know, committed single life is also a powerful vocation. So so these are the, you know, four kind of life commitments. But even every day, you know, there's a mission, right? You know, you know you're demonstrating that, Eddie, by, by the, the, taking on this mission from this podcast, right? How powerful that is that you're willing to do that. So my specific job then is for the guys that feel called to the priesthood to journey with them as they, they hear and respond to that call, making sure that they have the tools that they need in order to hear the call and or, or to, to uh, probably better said process the call, right? Because a lot of times they're already experiencing at some level when they come to me, make sure that they have prayer opportunities, make sure I'm able to sit down with them and process with them and and, and help them to even like, like yes, this is... This is authentic to the call. This is not authentic. This is a good idea for your discernment. This is not a good idea for your discernment. Um, and and really, like like what I end up encouraging almost all the time is like like getting people to getting guys to pray before the blessed sacrament, 
and pray the rosary. If that's the foolproof way, if you're able to do a holy hour every day, and if you're praying the rosary, then eventually you're going to... Um, yes, I'm oh, right here. Are you still there, Eddie? Okay, good. I have been signed. Out. Oh, okay. You know, I had another thing. I'm so sorry. Um, I'll keep going here. I apologize for that interruption. Um, anyway, so so then my basic job is to help guys then to, to, to discern if they're called to the priesthood. And then I also then help them to enter the seminary for them to start a, a more formal you know, um, engagement of discernment. So, so it's a great job. I get to work with some awesome men in the archdiocese. I'm very proud of them for, for being men that want to step up and do God's will and, and, and having that openness, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to do that. So I really feel like I have a very privileged job in the archdiocese of Philadelphia. Um, and I think it's very important to show everyone that there's a, a normal side to priests. So what, what is it that you do for fun? Yes. Yeah, so, so before I had a, a little bit of an, uh, a knee injury, I used to play basketball all the time. So my first couple, my, my, I would say my first 10 years as a priest, I'm 16 years as a priest. It, it, it would be a lot of basketball, a lot of ultimate Frisbee, um, and a lot of, um, um, a lot of volleyball too. So, um, since I had a knee injury, I put on a little bit of weight, so I'm not, I'm not exercising in those ways, but, uh, I love getting together with friends, do that with frequency we're in the middle of a pandemic, so I haven't been doing, um, you know, this as much, but like, I love going to the movies and, uh, just love hanging out with friends and, and like going bowling and hiking and, and vacationing. You know, I, I've been blessed to, to be able to travel to a lot of like cool places. A lot of times as a priest, you get a chance to go to Rome. I, I've, I've been to world youth days, especially most notably the one in Australia. So, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of just great experiences and just hanging, you know, just hanging out with family and friends for the most part. That's, that's what I love to do. I love fo watching football games now. And, and, and anyway, so, so there, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, fun stuff that I like to and do. And then um, on the more spiritual side, how, how do you, how does your personal prayer life affect your priesthood? Yeah, no, that's, that's an excellent question. Cause that's really, that's really the crux of this. Like, like if, you know, we, we know for a fact that, you know, priests are not always perfect, right? And and usually the, the moment that they start to become in a problem for the church and, and, and start having problems themselves is the moment that they stop praying. So prayer is just so extremely important. One of the things that the, the church asks priests to do is pray the liturgy, the hours. So there's five times during the day that um, priests are then praying for their people. So, so you know, anyone that is, you know, connected to, to a parish or, or, or in the church, you know, you're being prayed for constantly by your priest and, and deacons and, and, and other religious. Um, and so, so there's those five times of prayer. Um, I, I do try to do a holy hour every day, and I do try to pray the rosary every day. So I say try because it's sometimes you know, easier than it looks. And it doesn't always come super easy sometimes, but um, it, it's so important. Our fallen nature will wants to take us away from those prayer times. And so we need to respond to God's grace. We also sometimes just need to be committed and say, hey, I'm dedicated to being with God for this time. I'm just going to do it. Um, but without prayer, it's, it's, without prayer, it, it, it could become lonely because if you're separating yourself from God, where where like like celibacy is like you get to experience the fullness of God's presence and the fullness of God's love, 
And so it's very fulfilling, very joy filling. But if you're if you're not connecting to God in prayer, then you know celibacy could be awful, right? And and I would say people that look at celibacy and think like, oh, that's an awful life, like I did before I learned how to pray. Um, it's 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 a sign that you're not praying well because anyone that prays well that knows how fulfilling God is and and joy filling, then you're going to see the the potential of how awesome celibacy is. Um, where you know somebody who's not praying. You're gonna you're gonna look at that and be like, oh, why would you do that? Um, and and same thing when a guy, when a priest is not praying, very dangerous. But you know you know for myself, uh, especially those quiet times of prayer, daily mass, uh, those things are just so sustaining and fulfilling. And um, how can a young man who's considering the priesthood keep the flame alive, and not let it blow out? Absolutely. So, so, uh, you know, first and foremost, prayer, like getting a regular prayer routine, you know, d depending on how old you are, teenagers may not be able to go to the local church for, for Eucharistic adoration, but anyone can pray the rosary, right? So, so having, having a baseline prayer, that's so very important. And this, this is actually that in particular is helpful for everyone figuring out how God's calling them. But then if, uh, if you're called to the priesthood in particular, or, or you're, you're, you're pondering that, then contacting the vocation office, and we'll we'll put you in contact with a lot of just great opportunities to hang out with young priests, to hang out with seminarians, and then and then in that time together with them, you're basically able to 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 see what's happening in your heart, to see if that resembles with what the, you know the seminarians and priests are describing is happening in their heart, and then you just see like is is there is there a, a is there a similar kind of resignation in in each heart. Um, you know, so we do offer a couple of great opportunities for discerning your, your vocation to the priesthood. If, you, if you're in high school, we have the Quovatus camp, which is four days in June of just hanging out with, with priests and seminarians. And, and you, you get to, to pray as a priest does, but you also get to be at a camp where there's a lake, there's a pool, there's basketball courts, there's gaga ball, there's all kinds of great things. We offer throughout the year, when, when things are normal, we offer all throughout the year come and see weekends, times to come to the seminary for both high school age, then also post high school. So this is great for college age and beyond. Um, the, the opportunity to just come to the seminary and just experience a weekend there. And just kind of, you're, you're in a sense, you're, you're like trying it on to see if it's a fit. And that can be very helpful in people's discernment. And then we also have uh, ongoing discernment groups. You know, we, 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 we're now in a pattern where we will meet for like, you know, six to eight weeks and then we'll take a break and then meet for six to eight weeks more. So, um, so there's a lot of great opportunities. Um, I'm happy. My full-time job is to talk to anyone who's considering a call to the priesthood. So reaching out to me, uh, you can get my information at the heed, the website. That's www.heedthecall.org. In addition to my contact information, there's some really dynamic videos and, and other resources to help with your discernment, a lot of times guys can get a lot of answers for their questions by going to the website. So that is heedthecall.org. Sure. So let's just say that um, someone enters a seminary and what happens if that person realizes that it's not their call? Yeah, yeah. So so some, you know, at one level, somebody would feel like, oh, man, that's 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 a failure. The, the guys, you know, started something but he didn't complete it and that's completely the wrong way to look at it what we would say is you know 
the question for whether or not a guy should go into the seminary is basically this idea of this call. I, I've been processing it for long enough. I have a sense I can't resolve it on my own in terms of I can't come to the conclusion, yes, I am called to the priesthood, or no, I'm not on my own. So I need the formal help of the church. And so when guys go in the seminary, none of them really have an, a, a firm idea that they're definitely being called to the priesthood. And so it's it's meant to be a time of discernment where you're living essentially as a priest um, and uh, and and you're 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 testing to see is this the right fit for you. You're also being prepared to to for this the ministry of the priesthood. So um, it's such a wonderful and dynamic experience. And so if a guy goes in the seminary and then what what we refer to as discerns out, we would refer to that as a success. You know, and and about half the guys that go in the seminary they do discern out. And and again, we think that is a wonderful thing. Because the goal is not just to get every single guy in the world to become a priest. It's to try to help those who are being called to the priesthood to hear and respond to that call. And so and I, I, there does very much seem to be a category of guy who was definitely called into the seminary. And then God used the formation that they received to help them to become, you know, better leaders in the church and, you know, better husbands and fathers and, and, and you know, help to set the trajectory of their career in certain ways. So uh, really, it's it's such a blessing. If you're a guy thinking about the priesthood, come and talk to me. And then, you know, like just know when if you enter the seminary, you're not committing the rest of your life to be a priest. You're just simply committing to be there in tech, technical language just for that semester. And just to wrap things up, what advice would you give to any of our listeners who might be struggling to listen to God's call, especially in these hard times that we're living through? Yeah, yeah. So I would say I would say this, especially in light of the, the hard times, God is in the present, right? A lot of times, you know, there's two things that can happen in the spiritual life. You know, our anxieties and fears could ha have us, you know, dwelling too much on the future. I'm worried what college am I going to get into? What kind of job am I going to get? What kind of girlfriend or, or your boyfriend am I going to get? You know, we could be too concerned about the future. Uh, and too anxious, you know, about, about, you know, what's life going to be like in the future. And then, and sometimes we could be too focused on the, on the past. Oh, this person hurt me this way, or I regret I've sinned this way, or I really messed up the, in these ways. So we can, we can live in past regret. The devil tries to do that. The devil either tries to, to live in past regret or future fear and anxiety. And because in a, in a sense, God is not in the past. God is not in the, in the, in the, in the future because he's in the present. And so what we need to do is, is give our futures to God's providence, whatever happens, whatever school we go to after, after high school, whatever job we have, have after college, God is going to be there and we have to trust that he's going to take care of us. So we give our, our future to God. Uh, we give our past to God's mercy, right? If we sin, we go to confession. If someone has hurt us, it's so important to forgive because then we're freed to then just to be with God in the present. And if we're with God in the present and we're praying on a regular basis, then God is going to give us the grace to know what his plan is in our lives. And we'll have the capacity to do it. Also to be able to kind of be present in the present with God, the healing that takes place for us to be focused there. It a lot of times ministers to the fears and anxieties and regrets that keeps us from doing God's will. 
So there's there's the double benefit of not only experiencing God in the present where we can authentically discern, it also then gives us that that freedom to to do whatever God's plan is. Always trusting and knowing that God's plan for us is way, way, way better than anything we could ever come up with on our own. Well, thank you so much, Father Lacey, for sharing your time with us in this podcast. Stay awesome. (laughs) You too, Eddie. Thank you so much. What a great initiative. Thank you for being Uh, awesome. I hope all of you enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to get notifications. If you enjoyed this episode, stay tuned for our next one, From the Air Force to the Altar. It would be greatly appreciated if you left a comment and or review down below. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time on the Akuti Initiative, where we strive to get closer to Christ one day at a time.